0: Beauty of the World is our new mini series that focuses on world and regional beauty concepts. In each episode, we'll be joined by a key opinion leader to discuss local attitudes to beauty, cultural tastes, and explore how the
1: key aesthetic markets around the world differ. We'll also learn how to approach, respect, and treat different skin tones and racial features, celebrating the amazing diversity of our faces and skin. You should seek medical advice before undergoing any treatment or procedure, and these podcasts do not replace a professional and bespoke consultation.
0: So welcome, Dr. Rashmi Shetty, all the way from Mumbai in India. Thank you for joining us for our second episode on the beauty of the world, our new mini-series. Um, Rashmi, tell us about your own practice. You're a, you're a dermatologist. Um, of course, you're an injector, which was why we've invited you on the podcast. Just tell us um, about your journey into aesthetics and your dermatology practice.
2: So firstly, thank you for having me over and uh, it feels nice to be among the chosen one around the world. <laughs> Uh, and uh, um, me and I have I've been always wanting to get into aesthetics, reconstruction, you know, getting things into the more aesthetic form was always something that I loved. I was an artist when I was younger, performing as well as as well as painting. And then when I got into medicine, I so wanted to get into plastic surgery, but then I realized there's such a long way to study and uh, in a early, And then I shifted cities and then my residency changed. So then I got into dermatology. Mm -hmm. I was disappointed in the initial years of dermatology, but later on dermatology had evolved to a stage where aesthetics was a part of dermatology. Reconstruction was a part of dermatology. There was dermatosurgery as well. So that kind of really um, brought my interest back and kept me going and said, oh, I need to do something really nice with this. And uh, then along came injectables where things became even more exciting. So, therefore, my work with injectables, though I do a lot of clinical dermatology as well, but my main, main practice is aesthetics and out of it, my key interest and complete excitement is towards injectables.
1: And Rashmi, how did you um, come about being a key opinion leader for Allagan? How did you, uh, how did you uh, become chosen for that? Obviously, you're very good at what you do, but I'm just curious how you ended up there.
2: Um. I don't know. I didn't have, I, I don't know if a particular way I ended up there. Like you said, yes, I was good at what I did. I gave them the numbers, of course. Um, and then I teach as well. Um, well, And then I had a few papers to my credit, the white mm-hmm. papers to my credit in terms of injectables itself. So I think all of that really helped me come on to the center stage with them. And um, yeah, I was already an invited speaker with a lot of international congresses. I was on the scientific committee of a few international congresses. So I guess all of this helped the, the it helped one to show off their work or to showcase their work. So then, of course, then you're picked up by then everybody wants isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough.
0: Now, yeah. um, in our first mini series podcast, where we focused on Africa with Isolde, we realized we probably bit off more than we can chew by trying to discuss a whole continent. So we'll be sort of asking our questions mainly about India. Of course, if you can reflect on neighboring countries, that'll be great. But, you know, we'll, we'll sort of talk about what you, what you know best. Um, so I'm just going to reel through a few stats for the listeners who maybe don't know too much about that part of the world. I mean, India apparently has 1.3 billion people now and the subcontinent as a region has 1.9 billion people um the main religion I believe is Hinduism was around 70 to 80 percent then um 15 percent or so Islamic population and then some smaller minority um religion so maybe that has an influence on you know aesthetics and fashion and and everything to do with the culture of India presumably and you know I visited India when I was a medical student I think it was 2006 now and I travelled all over the place, and sometimes when you're in the south and then you're in the north, you, you could feel like you're in a different country, with different, you know, obviously languages, foods, and cultures and creeds. So, just be interesting to get your take on sort of what do you, what do you understand India to, to be, sort of demographically and and you know those sorts of things.
2: So, while we are looking at different religion, but I have a feeling it's not religion does influence you a little. But what really influences you, especially in India, is the region that you're from. Mm -hmm. It's such a vast country. Like if you're from the up north, your features are more Mongolian. Um, uh, You're more from the Mongoloid kind of descent. So you do have a much more square face. You have smaller eyes. You have wider jawbone. You have wider maxilla. So this is more, let's say, Uh, Chinese or Asian so Mm -hmm. they may confirm to the Asian side of the India where the rest of the India may not necessarily look like Asians the typical Asians that the West might describe yeah then you do have the down south wherein they're more Dravidian in their features and descent so you have the more browner population more rounder faces more softer faces smaller bone structure with a lot more soft tissue there wider eyes fuller lips So more towards the Dravidian or a mix of African Dravidian kind of a descent from there. Then you do have the up north, which is, let's say, the Punjab, the Delhi, the Kashmir, all of those areas, which have an Aryan descent, wherein they look more like Europeans. So you will be surprised, though, commonly, like, for example, simple thing like Indian color, maybe most of you would end up reading in your textbook saying it's anywhere between Fitzpatrick's three and five, but you would you would really find a one in India. You will also find a six in India. Yeah. So it's actually a wide variety of skin color. The texture of the skin could be as smooth and lovely as uh, let's say um, a Thai or a Malaysian skin, or it could be as very much open-poured as a more Chinese skin. You would find variety in India. So that's the challenge in aesthetics when you treat how do you get them to the most aesthetic best? Their basic culture, the basic, um, uh, basic, basic regional beauty, and the aesthetic identity intact.
1: That's um would be quite the challenge for an injector to be able to, I guess, encapsulate yeah. all of those different. Um, regions of India and being able to then translate that into an aesthetic that would be, I guess, suited to all those different types of faces and and skin tones and colors and textures. How do you get your head around all of that in terms of being able to deliver what patients need and what you think is best going to suit their face?
2: So I think that's what differentiate, I always keep saying like the art appreciation, that's what ends up differentiating a good injector to a great injector, let's say. So you need to be able to, rather if you inject in India, I'd say you're a world injector because you really, you really are doing the whole gamut, right? From every race you're trying to look at it. So to me, it's a lot of chat that happens. Keeping the regional aesthetic beauty to convert a South Indian to a hard square fish is never going to like it. You don't want to convert a a up northeast. Oval face in the name of beauty, she may not like it. Mm -hmm. So, you can't confine to textbook ideals of beauty here. You need to start from the ground where they are and then build upwards to see what would be aesthetically beautiful, keeping the regional identity intact. So, that's the challenge. And how do I just by these principles that I just stick to those principles? A lot of chit chat. Sometimes a patient might be open. Somebody who's like, no, I'm 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 Northeast, but I hate my jaw. I don't like it being so broad. So I'm okay to kind of get my oval uh, face. Then you end up end up working accordingly. So one, the knowledge of the regional uh, beauty. Two, a lot of chit chat with the patient. Three, I also look into what kind of profession they are into. What is their what is their need in terms of how how open are they to change? How open are they to repeated injectables. Now, all of these are looked at, and of course, budgets. So all of these are looked at, and then I arrive at a plan.
1: I'm assuming with all of those challenges that you have, that the educational part of your treatments or your consultation or the first time you see a patient is very important because just like here in Australia, where we are driven a lot by uh, social pressures, whether that be on TV, I'm assuming on Bollywood in India as well, and social media. So do you find it sometimes challenging to be able to go through that education process with patients to let them, I guess, appreciate what sort of treatment technique and approach is going to suit their natural features? Is it quite challenging?
2: Um, Like you said, Bollywood. So I have practices in Bombay and Hyderabad, two of the biggest film cities. Mm. So surely because of those cities, I have a very heavy Bollywood practice and a very heavy Tollywood practice. So therefore, um, uh, sometimes what happens is I've been in work in, in business for so long. So you do have a word of mouth, a reputation. So Already people have that about me, that I'm an injector who will keep your natural face the way it is. She's very subtle. She's very natural. Nobody will know, but yet you will transform beautifully. So that proceeds when they already enter my clinic. So my job is half done there. Thereafter, of course, I always reiterate, say, if you're the one who wants the whole world to say, Wow, what did you do to your face immediately? Or what did you do to your face? I'm not the injector. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So if someone, if you're the one who wants to say, Wow, you look pretty, you look fresh, I mean, what is it? Mm-hmm. If, if they're wondering. That's they are. So for me, I do that little intro. Uh, so yeah, it, it hasn't been very difficult, to be honest.
0: I have to say your consult style sounds very similar to myself, and I know Asolda works in a similar way. And it's you know I I don't know um, sort of exactly how you practice teaching injectables, but it's all about tapping into the emotional motivations for the patient coming to see you, rather than just you know the superficialities that we used to do many years ago. Um, Can I just ask? I guess it's an interesting question. Obviously, India's got um, supposedly a a huge middle class now, a bit like China, um, where there's a lot of disposable income. Have you noticed that um you know people have, have been coming more from that socioeconomic group now rather than just the rich and famous and just the Bollywood stars that you were seeing previously?
2: Yeah of course I mean I have in my practice a wide array of people from bankers to corporate heads to Bollywoods to maybe teachers to homemakers to people who just you know do small businesses from their home who have kind of collected money for a year and then this is an aspirational thing for them to do. And of course, we have people coming from all economic strata of the society. So awareness is very high thanks to the in- all of us doctors who are present on various social media, who are constantly talking about what can be done, what the possibilities are, posting before after pictures, all of this which wasn't earlier aware, right? You just see a beautiful star and you're wondering, wow, what is she doing? Is she born beautiful? How is she beautiful? It was a lot of speculation and wondering what happened. Right now, there's nothing for speculation. Everything is, here it is, the information on the face. So people do have information. They understand the safety part of it. They understand that this is something which is done, can be done. So yeah, I think that's, that's what's made them all kind of choose such solutions.
1: I guess just like the rest of the world, um, India has been quite heavily influenced by Western society in in many respects in terms of, you know, social cultures and the way people dress, they go out to clubs, cafes. Um, In terms of the way that people, I guess, are open about talking about treatments and willing to get things done, have you noticed that this has sort of changed and progressed over the last five to ten years?
2: Not at all. (laughs) (laughs) People um, are still secretive (laughs) about it? Yeah. Aesthetics also, we are not that influenced, I must say. I must say, because we're still stuck to our culture quite a bit where people don't want to look overtly done. number one. Uh, two, they don't want their brows to be stuck. They want their expressions to be seen. Uh, they do take that, if whether they're Bollywood or not, they want their expressions to be seen. They do not want, because there's an awareness of how Botox and fillers look on the face, They do not want to be identified saying, oh, we are superficial and we are frivolous and we are vain. They don't. Those words are still attached to aesthetic treatments. Mm -hmm. So people do not want to be in that category. Number one. Right. No. They still will tell you if somebody says, wow, your face is looking so beautiful. They say, Oh, it's the yoga, it's the diet. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that still happens in India. It's as my well. Ayurvedic Nobody diet. <laughs> Sorry, what did you it's say? It's my
0: Ayurvedic diet.
2: Yeah, uh, yeah, right. Yeah. It, it's my holistic diet and my naturopathy and stuff like that. Nobody is going to tell that they did an injectable. For some reason, that's such a big taboo. I don't know why.
1: Um. In Australia, we had something similar. Um, well, I guess I think most of Australia is sort of past that now, but we had some cities that were lagging behind and I've got clinics in, in a city in, in uh, Australia called Canberra, which is the capital and I'm sure you're aware of that, um, which was quite conservative. And I remember going back five years ago, people would come in and, you know, there'd be cash on the table, not telling their husbands things are getting done. It was all very yeah. hush, hush, hush. I'm assuming you sort of encounter similar things. Similar. So there's
2: incidents that i like thinking 17 years ago when I just was new in practice this is this huge Bollywood star and a model so she was one of those initially like a supermodel who are also doing some acting and she came in through reference of some other doctor came to me did some work she loved it and I'm thinking whoa tomorrow I'm gonna have a queue of people outside my clinic nothing <laughs> happened <laughs> she didn't tell a soul about what she had done So that still stands. That still stands. But now what's happened is people are okay to open up to the inner circle. Hmm. Like some of the actors are okay to just talk to their hairdressers, just their makeup artists, just their stylists. So I don't get those references at times. But beyond that, I understand till today they don't talk. And uh, people do pull them down badly if they come to know they've done something. So even for a celebrity, it's really difficult when something like that happens to share.
1: And I know Jake's got, got a question he wants to ask, but before we move on, what about people's partners? Say their husbands, for example, is it is it something that, that women, for example, might might hide or try and hide from their conceal from their husbands or their partners or they're sort of when you say the inner circle, is that in, does that does include partners? Or they want or they want their husbands to you think know, they're nat- naturally beautiful.
2: Seen a recent? No, I, recently I've seen one said Probably I don't know if it's with the crowd that comes to me which is a more evolved crowd, I must say, more well-traveled crowd, they do get their husbands along. Okay. And I've been working on the husbands as well. That's great. So, yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of male population which has increased and they do get their husbands. So that's one thing that I don't know. I must say I've had a positive experience there.
0: Yeah, fair enough. I was going to ask, um, before you sort of, said that religion may have an impact on, you know, beauty and aesthetic ideals. Obviously, if you contrast India to, say, your neighbor, Pakistan, where obviously, you know, different religious um, sort of makeup, etc., how would you sort of describe... um, you know, the, the the ideals of women in Pakistan versus um say in India, would you say that they're still similar, sort of um good skin, nice hair, um dressing sort of quite yeah. modestly.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Very similar. Um also I have a lot of Pakistani doctors who keep following and then whenever I'm lecturing, they come and talk to me, which is very nice. Like we're, we're, we're very fond of each other, Indians and Pakistanis, though it's been made out differently, but we really, wherever you meet, it's like lost brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. So they do come up to me. We'd sit and have a chit chat, and it's the same, very, very similar ideas okay. of very conservative beauty, but then still are interested in taking care of themselves. I'm happy to spend money on taking care of yourself, but then, like I said, conservative. So uh, conservative, or tone, undertone, tone. Keep yourself a little toned down. Is is the general general. Thing,
0: I think yeah and have you ever taught injectors from neighboring countries or are you only teaching in India itself
2: oh I do I do
0: oh, okay so what's the injectable scene like in in those countries so
2: in our in, around my country yes I have taught two Pakistanis but I haven't gone to Pakistan uh-huh. I have doctors coming over in India and training from me mm-hmm. we have I have done a lot of training in Dubai for a oh. and like, I went around for I think almost a 14 day tour around Sharjah and Dubai for Allergan. We have trained a lot in Singapore, a lot in Bangkok, Sri Lanka. I've had a lot of Sri Lankan doctors come by and train. So yes, I have.
0: Interesting. I did a quick Google search and I know that Um, You know, injectables are definitely available in Pakistan, definitely available in Sri Lanka, definitely available in Bangladesh. And even Nepal, I found um, a couple of clinics offering Botox and filler. So it seems to be, you know, pretty popular. What what would you say the market penetration is and and how many people, you know, are, are sort of coming for treatments?
2: In India, I'd say it's really, really penetrated well right. to the tier two, even the tier three cities. I've had people coming from really, really small cities and small towns who've come and have already had fillers there. Right. So I myself am surprised that, wow, you do have an injector there. So they do the concept of injectable. They are willing to accept it. So which is all pretty surprising. And I really thank the social media, I think, for that.
1: Perfect. So Rashmi, at the sort of beginning of the podcast, you were, you know, um, talking to us about the different regions of India and how you've got different shaped faces up in the north and the south and so on. How does that affect the aging process in different people around the country in terms of how you approach treatments for them? Because I'm assuming that you've got, you know, the fairer Fitzpatrick uh, skin types that are going to be more susceptible to sun damage and cultural uh, influences in terms of you know, the way people lead their lives, whether they cover themselves up, whether they want to try and lighten their skin and so on. How does that sort of play into to aesthetics and the way that you approach treatments?
2: So skin-wise, if you start talking just about skin, so up north, the, the lighter uh, skin or the Fitzpatrick one and two, let's say, are mostly the, the, the people from the northern region. And most of them end up definitely aging faster. You will see the, the descent from the Caucasian uh, range that I told you about and the Aryans, if you see. Especially the ones from the um, uh, Tibetan border, entire the up northeast. You will see a lot of fine lines coming in very, very soon in their lives. Um, they have the forehead lines, the lines around the crow's feet really quickly. They also have the accordion lines that you see. A lot of them get that really, really quickly. Freckles, again, are a, are a given. Eight spots are a given. Melasma is another thing that can happen with all of them. They also, because of the cold, end up sitting out in the sun a much longer time. So the sun damage to these skin is a lot more than maybe the other regions. And then when you look at a region like Kashmir, Punjab, they are the fairer skin. But yet they do have a skin which may be not that thin. So you do have aging, but it's not necessarily the fine lines that you see a lot often. You see a lot of pigmentation also that can happen towards that skin type. Now, down south for some region, a lot of families do have melasma. So though they are the darker skin type, you do see melasma and pigmentation as a big, big part. Because again, they are the darker brown skin. So the PIH, or the post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation, is a lot, lot more in that category, whether it is friction melanosis, whether it could be because of acne scars, or it could be simply other, like I said, hormonal related pigmentations like melasma, you see a lot more pigmentation down south. However, their aging is not that accelerated because they do have a brown skin only because they have a brown skin and because being dark is not considered to be beautiful. Uh, They tend to avoid sun and they tend to stay indoors. They tend to use sunscreen more religiously. So you do see them, their skin's aging a lot later than the skin of maybe the northern part of India. But when you see the structural aging, you would see um, the northeast that I was talking to you with more Caucasian, Asian, they have a much more stronger anchoring bones. So do you have stronger uh, cheekbones You do have stronger jaw bones. So your maxilla, mandible, all the protuberances and prominences are so much stronger that they anchor the tissue really well. And they do have slightly bigger faces than a South Indian face, which tends to be smaller. So then you have so much more pegging and anchorage with the bones, right? So the tissue is much more nicely wrapped and the descent is much slower. However, they may have anterior retrusions. Um, so therefore, if I take care of more of the anterior projection, if I take care of slightly softening their features, they age really, really well. Now up north, the Aryan descent, um, even for them, the bony structure is good, but they're more like Europeans. So you do have the ideal good bone structure. So the descent of tissue is lesser, but you do see people who put on a lot of weight in that region, because the food itself, their food habit is, heavy with, uh, with butter, with ghee, with the local oils. So they end up putting on weight and then you do see more rounder, chubbier faces. So the jawline of the ladies may not be really, really like the way they would want it to be. So I've seen them putting on weight very, very often. So I would, I would go more trying to first tell them to get their lifestyle in order, get those extra kgs off them. So then it's easier for us to work on the face. When you come to South Indians, the frame of the bone itself is so small, but the soft tissue is heavier. So you do see a lot of descent. So in this anterior projection, I'm looking at pegging them and creating the bony um, structure much stronger. So my approach would be more that way. So that's overall my different approaches in mm-hmm. the country. Then, of course, everybody loves the lips. Everybody likes a fresher eye. Everybody likes an open brow. So I would be working with all the features as well
3: perfect
0: i I was going to ask you later when i ask you a few skin questions but i'll ask now because you mentioned it where has the lighter skin being attractive thing come from
2: god alone knows where that comes from (laughs) but uh you know there are there are uh, uh, advertisements earlier which used to say um fair is beautiful there used to be a product which was said fair and lovely which got banned Mm. it didn't get banned basically the it got a lot of um, a lot of negative press. So the company itself tr- changed the name recently, and that was applauded. And how? Um, so for some reason, it's it's looked upon as fair as beautiful.
1: Hmm. I think I've got a. I think I might have a, an explanation for it. But a, a, What's a, that a story that I heard. Well, I heard. I think the, uh, the story that I heard was relating to sort of Egyptian times, which was that people that were. Um, outside a lot working in the fields and doing labor intensive jobs were outside. So obviously their skin became darker from being exposed to the sun and people that were inside who were like royalty or more well to do didn't have the same ah. exposure. So their skin was lighter. And then, so what happened was that if you had darker skin, that meant that you were from a poorer family or you weren't as well to do. So everyone wanted to become lighter skin because it made it seem like you were from, you know, a, I guess a more affluent background. And I think maybe that's perhaps same sort of thing, perhaps something like that.
0: Yeah. I wondered if, um, I don't think it's a good thing, but I wonder if there was any sentiment from the British sort of colonialism and...
3: I was just thinking, Mm. I was just thinking. You bloody Brits. I don't know.
0: I apologise on behalf of my uh, nation, sorry. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But it's interesting.
2: But I think it was not that recent. It was far even before the British.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
2: I think that whole thing of idea of fair being beautiful must have been much before
1: yeah because it's not just india i mean i mean yeah. i know that india is part of the is part of um the asian region but i mean you know you'll see people of um you know chinese and you know descent they're wearing you know no, they sort of got Japanese outside with umbrellas
2: who are all fair, yeah yes mm. and they want to be fairer the highest selling fair, i mean fairness products are highest sold in japan i heard yeah. and i was quite shocked at that so I don't think it's just India. I think it's world over people have a fascination for lighter skin.
1: Except in Australia where most of us are Caucasian where with fair skin. All the time, yeah? Where everyone, everyone <laughs> wants to be tanned which is why every second person's got skin cancer so. Yeah, it's crazy. We don't make sense human beings. We do <laughs> we do some stupid things. Yeah.
0: You ne- you never sorry, you, you want what you can never have. Yeah. It's crazy.
2: Always. grass is greener on the other side isn't it?
0: cast more of a, a social question i don't know if you can even answer this but india is very progressive um, modernizing at a pretty rapid rate if you sort of reflect back to maybe when you're younger maybe a teenager do you think that the the younger generation now are sort of deliberately trying to break away from the social norms that their parents maybe had to comply by and and they want to be modern for for modern sake and and does that translate into into fashion and beauty and aesthetics and and other things?
2: I think think we are through that wave. Like it was more my generation who was the generation who was trying to break. Mm -hmm. So it was us who wanted to change everything. It was us who wanted to be more Western, be more modern, get out of the stereotype, wanted to rebel, wanted to do different things. So now if I look at my daughter, For me, she doesn't look like she's that. They they know what they want. They're comfortable where they are. They blend with everything. They feel one with the world. Mm -hmm. So they necessarily are not that much of a rebel. And I also know India is going through this whole cycle of progression or modernization in, 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 in patches, in stages. So what a big city like a Bombay would have seen as my generation being rebel, probably in a tier two city, this generation might be seeing that change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So to me, the exposures have been in different stages, isn't it? Of
0: course. If you're, if you're from rural, maybe some of these older ideas are still clung on to, whereas in the city, yes. anything goes, yes. I guess.
3: Yes. Yeah.
0: And um, so with that in mind, what would still be considered taboo? Um, fashion wise I mean can do people sort of ask you know are tattoos on vogue or are piercings of the face normal can people wear what they like
2: totally
0: right okay interesting
2: totally
0: And um, what about male versus female equality? Because I know, of course, you know, in in India, there were some very high profile, awful sort of crime related um, sort of uh, cases. And and there was a big sort of movement for for women's rights and femininity, etc. Has that translated into anything sort of, you know, bigger than just sort of those cases itself? Has it sort of turned into a sort of a wave of empowerment of women and beauty, etc.?
2: Um, I would say these are very, it's like in any other country. This is there, that is also there. Mm. So women are looked up as very powerful in India. There are a lot of families which are led by women. We are we are matriarchal society. Yeah. So women is you know, woman is the decision maker, woman is the one who carries forward the family name. It's it's as against there is also the other part also which is true where there is a whole load of patriarchal society, so the, everything coexists in India. So I can't generalize and say are women treated badly? Do women have to fight societal pressures? I don't think so. Not everybody. There are that, and there are this.
1: We touched earlier on the. Um, we'll touch briefly on the impact of Bollywood and how that sort of impacts fashion and the way people want to look and act and so on. But just to how much of an impact has that having these days on, you know, culture and fashion and the way people, I guess, are approaching their treatments, um, you know, with, with people such as yourself?
2: I think more than the Bollywood themselves, it is the social menace because everybody's using filters. Everybody's using the best lights. Forget the lights and how they make themselves up. It's the filters. So a lot of people look at the images of stars or celebrities or bloggers or whoever they love and whoever they think is beautiful on an internet, and then come and expect that to happen in real life. And you keep telling them, no, they don't look like this in real life. And they are in flesh and blood. They do look like normal people. They do have pores on the skin. They do have (laughs) slightly patchy skin. They do have demarcation of the under eye and different anatomical areas of the face. (laughs) It doesn't look like a clean wrapped sheet like the way they look.
0: We have the same problem here, don't you worry. uh,
2: Oh, okay
0: okay yeah, yeah. Um, I can't remember there's there's a name for it but yeah the, the, it's almost to the point where people are not portraying their real self ever on social media and so they start to believe it and then when they come in for a treatment that their are expectations and ideals are completely um, distorted and it's actually a problem now I think it's um, become a yeah. sort of a sort of a side branch of BDD it's it's strange
1: yeah well people are comparing themselves to images of other people who aren't even real and then you just get this whole cyclical sort of problem
2: yeah and also there are people who come and tell you that i'm willing to do every treatment that you tell me i don't have a budget constraint but i want a skin like this one yeah i'm like but like that one there on the photo is never going to happen no matter even if you give me a blank check and if you're (laughs) willing to do everything on earth it's not going to happen because that doesn't exist at all so it's so difficult to tell them that, yeah, what's reality from what's what's all filtered.
0: Can I ask a question? I've just thought of this. I hadn't planned to ask this, but I remember when I was in India and I worked in hospitals, I was down in Bangalore. There's a very um, patriarchal mm. sort of way of pa- patients interacting with their doctors, what what are your patients like with you are they very pushy and demanding being in, from mumbai where it's very cosmopolitan or are they more accepting of you know what the doctor says
2: no so the doctor is considered in india as god yeah so if you're going to the hospital practice especially in in probably 10 20 years ago and bangalore is again i'm from bangalore so bangalore is a place where it is more of very respectful very they, you know the way they talk is very, very cultured, very nice. Still, the local people are still there. It's not as metropolitan as it used to be. It is now those years. Um, So that's one because culturally they're very polite and culturally they're very um that way. Yeah. But then in general, as gods. So I remember while I was an internship, we were playing cricket on the road. I don't know whether you guys do it, but we do it in yes, India. I yes, I did anyway. So all, you know, yeah on the street, we can play cricket. So everybody from all their houses just pour into the street in the evening and we end up playing cricket. And uh, I was also trying to play cricket. i was just trying. I don't (laughs) think I really played cricket. So I was trying running with the ball doing something. And uh, then one of our neighbor's houses, someone fell ill, as in they either passed out or something happened, I remember. So they all knew I was a medical student. So Everyone came and said, okay, let's get Rashmi in, let's get Rashmi in. And then I walked in. I'm I'm just merely an intern. I walk in and that house had some sort of an evening party, I think. So there were a bunch of elderly men sitting outside when I walked in and everybody stood up. Yeah. So for me, it was like, oh my God. Okay. Everybody stood up. Everybody would say, please come in a way that I I was somebody coming in. And then I looked at them, did God knows what I did then. I did something, the person was okay. And then I ended up walking out. Everybody stood up, got me to the door. It really almost felt, felt like a little overwhelming. Yeah. But that's the way they treat doctors. They really look up to you. They really think you're your gods. Okay. But I don't know whether that really happens in aesthetic practice. And now... Uh,
1: no, <laughs> <laughs> not so much.
3: No, not so much. <laughs> no, I was going to say yeah. I've
1: moved to India, but maybe not now.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: no, not
0: now.
3: Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. What about the, the modern Indian man in terms of what's considered desirable or handsome? And I guess how do you approach the male face in India? It's a long, it's a very open ended question. We could be here for a while. Um, <laughs> yeah. So,
2: no. So, male in India still wants to look like a man. So when you say look like a man he doesn't want to be feminized so it's not as much as in the other parts of Asia um, like definitely not like the Bangkok like the Malaysia like the Singapore where things are just blending in yeah. so that's no that's not happening in India at all the man wants to look like a man so they they may want to have a nicer skin or no pigmented skin they may want no acne scars left behind very few would dare to also use injectables as one of their methods to where they want to get. But that, again, has to be subtle, has to be more more masculinizing their face rather than feminizing their face. They definitely don't want to look beautiful.
3: Mm.
0: Just why would men be so sort of um, distrustful of injectables? What, what's the taboo there?
2: I think it's because they have seen Certain females with, like, let me put it this way: the only injectables they would get to see is the bad injectables, right?
3: Mm-hmm. It's who everywhere. They would know yeah. the good
2: injectables. Yeah, so this who is would the same argument. A that's, good, beautiful.
3: Yeah, we have yeah, the same a good, in Australia.
2: work. Correct. Nobody knows it's been injected at all. So the only face people assume is injected is the ones that they can see and identify, and they are the bad face. Yes. So likewise, for men, women, at least, we take the trouble of probably reading, we talk to each other, there are groups which talk to people, so they know there could be good injectables as well. But for a man for whom probably this is not the topic of discussion, is then only seeing injectables which are badly done.
0: Yeah, fair enough.
2: So probably that's what scares them away. But like I said, in my clinic, I have a lot of men doing injectables. Only because the women who have already been my patients bring them in, <laughs> and then they say, "Okay, do what you want to," and then they're happy with what's done.
0: Fair enough. I've just got last question about um, skin lightning, which I forgot to ask: um, How is it actually done? What, what what is used? Why is it controversial? Is it dangerous? Um, could you just comment on that as a dermatologist?
2: I don't think it is dangerous with what is done in general, but what what is Cheaply done or easily done is a steroid prescription, mm. which which is what makes it dangerous, which is what makes it, in, make, make, makes it ignorance. Like, because there are a lot of fairness creams in a box without a label. Yep. And there's a lot of hush-hush sales of fairness creams from the neighboring auntie or the salon lady. So all of this, and there was one whole line saying from the neighboring country, we got it. There's someone importing it with no label ingredients there at all. So ultimately, you touch it, you feel it, you kind of know this is some sort of a steroidal ointment. Yeah. So that's a very, very scary thing. And they do have white skin thereafter. And then a couple of years later, they come back with acne from eruptions or thinned out skin or pigmentation, 10 other rebound effects.
0: Am I right in saying in India, you can go to a pharmacy and just pretty much get what you like without a prescription? That's the other issue, isn't it? Anything. Yeah, I remember yeah. with antibiotics, we actually needed some when we were in India. Someone fell ill and, you know, as a student,
2: I had some idea. But yeah, anything. you could
0: just get it, easy. <laughs> yeah, you
2: could just get
0: it. Which is crazy. So
2: we don't understand what is the big fuss in the rest of the country to even get an antibiotic.
3: Mm.
0: Yeah, it's quite it's quite dangerous, uh, leading to I resistance no, and problems.
2: Just, just kidding, I
1: know. <laughs> so would you be able to um, get hold of, say, Botox or filler from, you know, just from a pharmacy or you'd be able to order it like you don't have to go and get it through a doctor. Is that right?
2: Thankfully, um, I haven't seen those patients. We do see them initially. Once or twice, somebody did approach me saying some friendly person traveling got them the filler or someone, but it's not easy to get it from the pharmacy for sure. Hmm. Um, But maybe it's been sold in an illegal way. Legally, no, it's not easy for you to just go get it. But when they do get it, I always—I mean, I in my practice never inject something that someone else has walked in with. Impossible. Oh. Even if it is a product that I can see, recognize, I would absolutely deny doing that.
0: No, no, never, never. And a bit yeah. of a strange question, but I know it varies in in each country. Do you order your product directly from the supplier, i.e., I. Allergan or Galderma, yeah, whoever? From Allergan,
2: yeah. Okay, yeah. Whatever, so- Allergan, Galderma. All of them are present in India. MERS, everybody is there. So you directly order from them. Okay. But then they do have channels and distribution networks where people then end up bringing in. You could order straight to the company's uh, uh, representatives who come and meet you.
0: Fair enough. So this sort of is a nice segue into injectables itself. But, you know, you're you're in Mumbai. It's probably one of the most modern cities in the whole of India. How would you describe... Um, I guess, both the plastic surgery and the injectable scene. I mean, is every conceivable procedure available? Um, How many providers are there? Just give us sort of an insight into
3: that.
2: I wouldn't have the exact numbers in the statistics, but then there are a lot of providers, let me put it that way, Mm -hmm. right? From a plastic surgeon to a dermatologist to a physician. There are a lot of other specialties like gynecologist, ENT, uh, oftalms who have also moved there are a few odd people who are maybe pathologists and whatever, other specialty who've just moved into aesthetics. Thankfully, it is doctors. Also, there are a lot of dentists who are now moving into this practice, mm-hmm. so it's been a little push and pull and controversial, but there are a lot of dentists practicing as well. Uh, luckily, there are no nurse injectors like your country might have it or England might have it. You can Nurses cannot inject, beauticians cannot inject, but there has been a very nasty uh, things that have been I've been hearing that there are these um, non-doctors who, when they want to inject their patients, do end up calling uh, other either doctors or company representatives who then, for the sake of probably getting their numbers up, do come and assist and inject themselves at times. So we have been hearing these things, but this is hearsay.
0: Can I ask? Because you know, we, we you know, obviously Australia is very different. UK is different. Other countries are different. Do you think that um, you know? Obviously, non-doctors. Uh, you, you you said yourself that dentists are practicing in India. Do you agree that it's not so much a case of you have to be a doctor, but it's more about the training itself has to be put in place. You know, so that whoever's injecting is a safe injector and a skilled injector.
2: True. True. But what's happening is if, if you're a dentist, for example, um, a lot of companies will not train you. So how do you get trained? Mm. Medical schools aren't yet training injectables. There are not too many lasers in many of the medical colleges. So all your training towards aesthetics, especially injectables, happen to you post your schooling, right? Either right. you work with someone. So if you're a dentist, if you're a practitioner who is not let's say, legally authorized to do these things, then none of the dermatologists or plastic surgeons would take you in here or as an apprentice, one. Two, none of the companies, legitimate companies, will train them. Mm-hmm. So therefore, not it's not just that they're not qualified to be injectors. Like you rightly said, none of us learned it in school. We all got out of school and learned it. How do you even get training from the right sources if you're not a legitimate injector?
0: Yeah, I guess my question is, how is training delivered in India? Because here in Australia, there is certainly no common syllabus. Uh, you know, David owns several clinics and and they have to do their own in-house training with his company. Um, it's yeah. very uh, uncoordinated. And so I'm just curious to know how likewise. injectors are trained in India. Likewise. Or standardized. No, likewise. We have no standardized
2: training. You have no standardized either certification or training requirements or X number of hours of practice for you to be able to be an injector. There's no, let's say, there's no certification. Yeah. So you could just pass out tomorrow morning, just go to one hands on workshop in some conference for two hours and then come back and probably poke your patient.
3: In
1: terms of the popularity of injectables in India, how? I guess are the growth numbers looking in terms of, I say for example in Australia that the market penetration is roughly ten percent or thereabouts. So how, how is, do you Probably. think that sort of translates to India and is and what's the growth trajectory like?
2: Probably around ten percent is what even I would say. We are very 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 nascent with very large population that we have. Uh, how would the growth be? Is anyone's guess? I know aesthetics is going big. I know creams, lotions, supplements, all of that is kind of booming and predicted to be going really, really big. But will injectables be one among them? I really don't know. With, the, with also the recent pandemic, the, the whole health awareness, wanting to be natural, wanting to be fit, wanting to be more careful and conservative is another new wave which is happening. So I really don't know how exactly this might really pan out. I wanted
0: to ask, and this is, I guess, a difficult question, but we'll just relate it to your own practice in Mumbai. What's your stereotypical patient? I mean, here in Australia, I mean, of course, it's very still, but I would say sort of a 35 to 45-year-old Caucasian, Australian, mm-hmm. quite conservative to start with. What would your sort of um, stereotypical average patient be who's coming to see you for the first time?
2: I think everyone, because I have a huge acne practice as well. Right, okay. So I have patients starting off at 12. I have a lot of teenagers, mm-hmm. the 12-year-olds, with the PCOS being such a rampant thing now, with, um, with metabolic syndrome being much more seen in younger individuals. So we've been having patients anywhere from 10 upwards to almost till the 80s.
0: What about injectables?
2: Injectables and 18 is happy to ask.
0: What is the minimum age?
2: I, I don't think this is this is anybody's standard, but for me, for my ethical standards does not permit me to inject anyone below 21-22. Okay. Interesting.
0: So I don't do that. But legally it's 18, uh, so some, is that correct?
2: I no, there is no legal uh standards. Do you have a legal standard in your country?
1: 18. 18, yeah.
2: Yeah. Oh, okay.
1: And okay. what's your And what's your reason for that? Is that because you think that people just need to, I guess, reach a a certain level of maturity and sort of age before they're able to make sensible decisions? Is that sort of where you're coming from?
2: No, I think an 18 year old is very sensible, very, very sensible. If at all, they're more sure of what they want and they're more sure of how they want to look than when I discuss with a 35 or a 40 year old. Mm -hmm. These guys are very, very sure of what they want. They come to you with the references they come to you with what they don't want. They come to you with what they want. So it's so easy. Once you've discussed, you give, they're happy, they're out. So that's that's really easy. But why I don't inject an 18-year-old and wait for a 21 is to me, the face is still happening. Right. The face is still becoming. So your soft tissues might kind of go lesser. There are a lot of people who want chin because chin is talked about so much on the internet that everybody now wants to have a chin. So then, I end up telling them, wait for the cheek to kind of go down. Let the baby chubby cheek go down. Let the face kind of framework become. Let it come into its own. Then they will see if you really want a cheek because go inside. Your existing chin might already look a little better than what you want it to be. Your pre-jowl sulcus may not even be seen, so you may not want me to inject anywhere there. So there's a lot of times I just wait for the patients and I counsel them and tell them, let's come to what you want. And then if you think those features still bother you, those issues still hang on, then I'm I'm happy to inject.
0: With your younger demographic, are they still asking for things like lips? That's the the absolute number one here in Australia, I would say.
2: The lips, the under eye and the chin are the three most common indications in India, I'd say.
0: Okay. And for your men who do come and, and request injectables, what are they interested in?
2: Men, do they know what they want? No, they don't. <laughs> so, <laughs> I want you to tell them, Rashmi. <laughs> yeah, I know. Then I, I tell them. and I tell them this is not happening. So <laughs> basically, you need to be more decisive firstly. So they come in, they say they have a vague idea. The first thing is no for anything you say for some reason. Um, and then they're wondering what they want. But what I've seen in India is even the men are bothered about pigmentation first acne scars, and hair, which is a very, very big thing. Mm-hmm. So hair is much bigger than the face, I'd say. You mean so removal hair, of
1: body hair or people losing their hair from their head?
2: So people being bothered about hair, right. people coming for hair. So whether it was losing hair, thinning hair, hairline changing, whatever it could be, hair is something very, very touchy for a man in India. I don't know what it is the rest of the world. So here is something that they come running, seeking for help. And then think pigmentation, if I have to put it in that order, then maybe comes the old acne scar. If at all, the last would be about the jawline.
3: Mm-hmm. Okay.
2: Neck is another concern. For some reason, they think the face looks good.
0: Yeah. Now I know that you're a a leading injector so maybe this is kind of a difficult question but is there much price variability uh, amongst the clinics and and doctors offering injectables? I mean here in Australia there's a huge variability depending on you know size of clinic and and, uh, I guess um, you know uh, reputation of injector and so on so you know we'll go through some prices in a minute but what sort of places are injectables offered? Is it just sort of boutique doctors and plastic surgeons, or or do you have any clinics that are sort of multi- multi-chain clinics?
2: Yeah, like I said, there are multi-chain clinics, there are hospitals, there are individual boutique clinics, there are salons sometimes who do it under the racks. So there is anybody and everybody doing injectables, even in India. Right. Uh, so the price range could be anything. Could be from uh, Let's say a 18,000 also I've heard, let's say, for one ml of syringe on an average. What is 18,000 Indian rupees? Could be somewhere around... I was uh, going
0: to ask you some specifics, but let's just... Um, I'm going to get up my currency converter and we'll work this out.
2: Yeah. What's, what's the US dollar for an 18,000 Indian rupees? Okay, so approximately $250 is the start price, let's say. But I have also heard another colleague of mine saying that someone in Bangalore injects even at a fifteen thousand, which could be around a hundred and eighty US dollars. Yeah, I'm
0: just going to qualify that. You meant two hundred and fifty US dollars, and that's three hundred and twenty Australian dollars, or hundred and eighty UK pounds.
2: Like like a hundred and eighty US dollars to upwards. Like I am probably one of the most expensive among the injectors. Of course, you're the best. And so that could. Oh, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So um, somewhere I I charge like more than double of what what the starter would charge. So I would be around 42,000 is what we charge.
0: 42,000 for a mil?
2: Yeah. So what's that? I'm going to work this out out now.
0: That's um, sounding very lucrative that's 575 us dollars 750 australian dollars or about 420 uk pounds so that's
2: 575 yeah 575 us dollars so something like that
0: is your average patient sort of happy to come in and essentially do what is required or are they still quite conservative and cautious asking for one or two meals and see how we go doctor
2: No. So what I do in my practice is once I do my assessment and I tell them they need, let's say, three syringes, four syringes or whatever, I'm not one of those injectors who will do 20 syringes and 15 syringes. I don't believe in it Mm -hmm. and I don't do that. So probably max I would do is eight syringes max is Mm -hmm. what I would do in one session for anyone. So if I would assess your face and I say that, okay, listen, I, I think I need a four four ML to do something really good on your face. And if you end up coming and saying, but I can only do one, I always tell them, don't start. I yes. tell them, put your monies together, come back to me, then you at least have enough budgets for two ml. Because if I have assist and assessed and said that you need four ml, if you come back to me and tell me to use one, nor will you be happy, nor will I be happy as an injector, it's going to lead to nothing. And wherever I put that will be so inadequate, it may even disappear faster. So I always tell them that, hold on, come to me when you have enough budget. So I don't do 1MLs. That's
0: exactly what I do. I'm glad you said that.
2: Yeah, but having said that, there are sometimes with 1ML you can achieve what you want. So that then I'm fine with it.
1: I was going to ask this a little bit later, but I'm, I might just ask it now, seeing we're talking about treatments and what people are getting done. Um, vascular occlusions um, are something that I think is a, like a term that strikes fear into every injector and probably any patient that sort of um, is aware of what they are. Yeah. And I guess that's been happening for a while, but we've only sort of become aware since we've had some of the, the horror cases. Is it a much of an issue for um, injectors um, in your region? And what's the patient awareness like in terms of you know what they are and how serious they can be?
2: So the awareness about vascular complications, I don't think is really that high among the people in India because I still see people going for a bargain. Mm. I still see people not getting too scared to go go to a salon lady where she's getting some doctor who they have no clue who it is and having injected. Uh, so the, so I think cost is something that they are looking at. If I, to my mind, they wouldn't look at that if they knew what can go wrong. So the awareness of what can go wrong is not really high, one. Two, I also don't think there are such cases which have come up in the media like in any other country. Hmm. One, in India, people don't inject that many ML. There are only a few doctors who really believe in just dumping uh, fillers into the face. Uh, so the pressure necrosis itself must be a lot less. Indications like nose, not too many people do that. So again, the danger area is kind of kept away. So there are no serious complications so far which has come up in the media. So the day it hits the media, maybe the awareness will be high. Even if there is anything, is hush-hush managed also because injectable still a taboo. Yeah. So people don't want to, even if you have had, I know of a patient who's had the complication, but wouldn't go obviously and go report to anybody.
3: Yeah.
2: She's like, I don't want anyone to come to because we don't get complications for us to treat, right? Yeah. So when they come in, I'm like, oh my God, you didn't even know what did you do about it? They don't want to do anything about it. So they don't want to inform the authorities. They don't want to obviously go and do anything um, in the press. They want they don't even want to tell their family that they've done something because now they're scared. They're like family is gonna completely kill us if they come to know I went and did something just for the sake of beauty. Yeah. And then this is what has happened. They're gonna to totally kill me. So they're so afraid. So none of them do anything about it.
0: And as a leading injector, are you sort of part of any, you know, bodies or groups of injectors who who manage or look after complications, or is that not really a thing in India?
2: It's not really a thing still in India, but there are the companies like Allergan does have a few of us who are on their group, key opinion leaders, the teachers. So if they see that somebody is having a complication, they either refer them to us or some of the juniors, they themselves call us to ask what's happening and how they can manage that.
3: Mm,
2: So it's a more personal relationship thing rather than a board, which is helping them. So there's no official board like that organized board.
0: Okay, just last couple of questions about filler. I think you mentioned most brands are available, but you have Aligan, Gauderma, Mertz. Do you have Teoxane?
2: No, not yet, but I, I know they're coming.
0: Okay, and any other recognizable brands? Chroma, for example? Nothing at all. No. Okay, so those are the three. No.
2: Mm-hmm. There's only three and there's only HA, which is the sad part.
0: Okay, well, that was my next question. Do you have any non HA <laughs> no. fillers, Sculptra, Radius, no. or Alance? No. We
2: had Radius. Um, I think 10 years ago, which a distributor had brought in. Mm-hmm. So some of us had a few syringes that we ended up using. I don't really remember what happened, but then they stopped bringing it thereafter. Right. But we don't have anything so far. No biostimulatory. The next biostimulatory we're even looking at is Profilo. Yes. Which is supposed to launch anytime time now.
1: Yes. Okay. Fair enough. Excellent. What about things like threads? Oh, the big, big craze in Australia at the moment is the PDO threads. Um, which are being used for lifting, collagen stimulation, and so on. Not lifting, not the people. Yeah, video oh. threads <laughs> have been. Let's add a little bit of a. Watch. <laughs> yeah, I've seen some interesting photos.
2: Yeah, so yeah, video has been quite a thing in India for quite some time. Hmm. That's another thing that a non dermatologist can do, and a practitioner who's just started practice and who does not have or want to allocate funds to energy based devices. Other than injectables, this was another thing that they could, right? So it was, it was, it was a quick turnaround. Mm -hmm. So PDO is quite popular in India. People just do threads left, right, and center. So, yes, it's
3: interesting. Now,
0: onto toxins. What toxins are available in India?
2: I think all the toxins from MERS, from Magalderma, allergen, everything is available. But toxin is one thing. I have only stuck to Botox. Yeah, okay. Like somehow to me that's 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 not the place I want to take my risk.
0: No, no, sure, fair enough. And again, yeah. I don't want to. Well, I'd, be, I'd love to know your price, <laughs> or uh, and how do you price it? Do you charge <laughs> per unit? Do you charge per area? Uh,
2: no, how, I how- charge per unit. I charge per unit because different people have different. Need for the muscle. Of course. So maybe for a forehead, I may inject four units, I may inject 12 units. I'm not at all sure. Okay. So I don't do it by the area. I end up doing it by the unit.
0: And may I ask what you charge per unit in your clinic?
2: I charge 450 plus taxes, which comes to 450 plus 18%, which is what? One second. Komal, what do we charge per unit of Botox <laughs> with the tax? Five thirty-one, five
0: hundred and thirty-one rupees. All right, I'm going to work this out. That is, oh, that's actually pretty reasonable. Nine dollars forty Australian, um, or seven dollars twenty US. That that's yeah, that's for our stand, horrendously that's
2: expensive in India because people charge one hundred and seventy-five to a two hundred and twenty-five wow. rupees a unit.
1: Yeah, so your fillers are disproportionately yeah. a lot more expensive compared to your toxin when you like look at it in Australia. Out both like our. Cheapest Botox prices similar to what okay. you're charging? With one your second,
2: yeah. let me also tell you, Komal, uh, the filler one. What do we charge with the taxes? Forty-one three hundred. Yeah, I was right. Forty-one
3: thousand three hundred. Yeah. Okay. Right. Right. We've got two
1: Jews and an Indian. We're so comfortable talking about <laughs> money. It's so. It's so. good. <laughs> really-
3: <laughs> no, you know, it, yeah. it's, it's
1: it's why we did this podcast. <laughs> it's to understand the markets
0: yeah. as well as the trends. Yeah. It's uh, it's totally yeah. different. Yeah totally totally different i mean i mentioned this in our africa podcast um american sort of providers and doctors actually moan about how expensive it is for them to buy mainly their fillers and so they're sort of limited and handcuffed as what they can actually mm. offer it's not the patients really? um, not asking for stuff it's it's such a case of they can't afford it so mm. it's interesting
2: i should ask i should actually ask you what are the different rates in different countries because yesterday there were two uh, ladies from England who had come to my clinic and we gave them the prices of fillers and they disappeared. So I was like, <laughs> what, what is it?
0: <laughs> They've gone to your rival down the road, Rashmi.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess
1: they'd be used to the cheaper prices in the UK because you know any Tom, Dick and Harry... There are
2: nurse injectors, yeah. Well, it's not even, not yeah.
1: even that. You've got like, you can be a
3: Harri- therapist. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that, that's the yeah.
0: scary thing about the UK. Um, no, like it's very non, scary. Don't forget scary. nurses and doctors and
1: dentists; you've got anyone, like literally,
2: anyone, yeah. have your
1: house cleaner uh, doing your wow. doing your filler, doing your lips. Yeah. yeah, it's
0: crazy. We should
2: we should all just go and start practicing that.
0: <laughs> yeah. What about um, other niche products like Kybella or Belkyra or, or any other fat dissolving product?
2: Kybella hasn't yet arrived into India, but we do have other deoxycholic acid providers. Okay. So I do use them. Are, yeah, are they compounded
0: yeah. or are they actual branded products?
2: They're actual branded products. Do,
0: do you There's you something called a-
2: geo Geolysis, which I use.
0: Right. Okay. So and yeah,
2: which is which is pretty nice. It's again the oxycholic acid. So it's okay. a nice one.
0: And is is that sort of um, injected over a, a number of sessions or one off? Yeah.
2: Yeah. No, number of sessions. I usually do it once in a month because the inflammation, sometimes swelling and inflammation lasts for 10 days
3: yeah, after
2: one injection. Then I want to give them that rest period of 20 days. And then again, do the next one. I, I see what happens with it and then do the next session. Okay.
1: Um, who regulates cosmetic injectables? I and mean, I think you sort of said it's fairly sort of
2: non-regulated, like wild
1: west a little bit. So you, in terms of like, you know, if things go wrong, um, you know, disciplinary action and so on. Do you have sort of bodies that work for the government to take care of these sorts of things, even when they occur?
2: There are bodies which take care of anything that can go wrong with any any physician for that matter. So I guess that's the same body which would take care if anything went wrong with injectables and if anyone were to complain.
0: Mm-hmm. Fair enough. And moving on to devices, um, either in your clinic or just generally, are things like cool sculpting the, the broad array of lasers, um, those types of devices, they're pretty common?
2: Uh, not very common. There are a lot of um, Chinese, Korean, Indian machines, which are identical MeToo machines, which are very common.
3: Interesting. Very
2: few of us have the original machines. So very few of us have it. So a lot of cities, maybe there'll be one doctor who has it. In some cities, there'll be two doctors who has it. Um, Bombay may be a lot more. Delhi maybe a lot more. So in our clinic, we have everything. We have the pool sculpting, we have the Altera, we have the Thermage, we have, we have all the.
3: Excellent.
1: No worries. Well, I've got um, have some business questions here, but I think we've actually gone through them all. Um, <laughs> to be honest, we sort of covered them during the body of the podcast. So probably, I know you've um, got patients to see, you've got some commitments after this podcast, so probably we'll, we'll finish things up here. But before we let you go, just wanted to say thank you for your time. We really appreciate it. And stand you're a very busy lady with many responsibilities. Um, How do people reach out and get in contact with you if they'd like to um, book in to see you for an appointment? They'd like to ask you some advice or, I don't know, they just want to see what you're all about. How do they get in touch?
2: DM. DMing me on the Instagram is the best way to get in touch with me straight.
0: So what's your Instagram handle?
2: It's uh, Dr. Rashmi Shetty Ra. Without any gaps, without any full stops in between. Doctor is just Dr.
0: Perfect. And do you have a website for your clinic as well,
2: Rashmi? Yes. It's again, just by my name. It's www.drrashnishetty.com. I'm on the Twitter. I'm on the, um, what do you call it? Instagram, uh, Facebook, uh, Snapchat, everywhere. but then, yeah, no, <laughs> on the Twitter and Facebook, but I don't really look at that. The only handle that I look at myself is uh, Instagram.
0: Yeah. Fair enough. Well, thank you so much for your time. I know this took a lot of planning, and uh, I apologise for getting a time wrong last week and, and so Not on. But it's been great to talk to you, and um, we'll be Likewise. in touch soon. And uh, thank you for your time again.
2: Thank you so much, and I thoroughly enjoyed this. And thank you both of you for having me over.
1: Thank you,
0: Roshan. and
2: we'll look forward to more such interactions.
1: Yes, and maybe one day you can come <laughs> to Australia when all the borders are. Yeah, open. I was.
2: I was there.
1: When. Um, uh,
2: Greg had invited me as the oh. keynote speaker uh, two years ago for his Congress.
0: Oh, yeah, ASCD. That yeah. was probably yeah. yes. me. Yeah. Well, when the sky is yeah. open again, we will meet up for sure, and we'll share a yes. drink. And, Whenever that is. And we'll, yeah. we'll talk about our fun time on Inside Aesthetics.
2: <laughs> yes. <laughs>
0: All right. Take care. Enjoy bye, guys. Day, Thank bye you. Bye. For our latest news, upcoming guests and
1: episode topics, follow us on Instagram at inside underscore aesthetics. During the week before every recording, look out for our Instagram stories as we'll give you the opportunity to submit your questions to our guests and get a shout out. You can also DM us for any other information, suggestions or guest requests.